I'm Graham Smith. I'm the head of obstetrics and gynecology at Queen's University and the Kingston Health Science Centre here in Kingston, Ontario. We established the Mothers Program to provide a reliable source of information about pregnancy on the internet with the goal to improve mothers' health through education, research, and screening. The Mothers Podcasts are an extension of that. Today, we're going to be discussing COVID-19 and pregnancy, and our guest is Dr. Vanessa Poliquin. Dr. Poliquin is an obstetrician gynecologist and infectious disease expert at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. Dr. Poliquin co-chairs the Society of Obstetrician and Gynecologists of Canada's ID committee and has been the lead for disseminating information on COVID-19 and pregnancy throughout this pandemic. Vanessa, welcome and thank you for agreeing to speak with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much, Graham, for inviting me. So you've been the lead for the uh, SRGC's COVID response and uh, information sessions. Apart from the recommendation of washing your hands, wearing a mask, are there any pregnancy-specific recommendations? That's a great question, Graham. Before I dive into the answer, I really want to tip my hat to the entire uh, Infectious Diseases Committee at the SOGC as well as the SOGC executive. Everyone's been working really hard to collectively keep um, pregnant patients and prenatal providers informed. Um, It's important to know that most of us at the ID committee are doing this on top of being asked to take leadership roles during the pandemic in the hospitals where we work. Uh, So while I'm here chatting with you today, um, I really want to acknowledge all the experts that I've had the privilege to, to work with throughout the pandemic. But back to your question. What do we advise pregnant women to do beyond just washing their hands? It's important to realize that Pregnant women are not inherently more likely to get infected. So the basic messages are the same for pregnant patients. Wash your hands, avoid large gatherings, wear a mask, follow local public health measures. I'm sure we're going to touch on this later in the podcast, but what we've seen come out of the literature over the past nine months suggests that some characteristics or comorbidities might put pregnant patients at increased risk of severe infection compared to others or non-pregnant individuals. So these would be factors like maternal age over 35, obesity, pre-existing diabetes, pre-existing hypertension, respiratory disease, among others. So I would encourage prenatal providers and patients to have a discussion together to look at an individual situation, the potential community exposure, the potential workplace exposure, and risk factors for morbidity for severe disease. And then together they can discuss whether additional methods of mitigating risk are warranted or possible. I know that there's been a real collaborative effort uh, of which you're a part uh, to collect the data from across Canada. Uh, there was I heard on the news uh, about a woman in BC who's in the ICU who delivered uh, while positive with COVID and her baby's actually gone home ahead of her. Do we have any idea of how many cases of COVID in pregnancy there's been in Canada and and what the early data is showing? Yeah, absolutely, Graham. The nationwide collaboration that you're referring to is called CanCOVID-PREG, and it's a study led out of BC by a veteran member of of the SOGC ID committee, Dr. Deborah Money. The study is capturing, in a surveillance fashion, data on all pregnancies affected by COVID um, in Canada to determine what the Canadian experience is with respect to the impact of the disease on pregnant patients um, and the pregnancy outcomes. So to date, we understand that over 2,100 pregnant or postpartum patients have been reported to be infected with COVID-19 across Canada. The data is currently being analyzed, and there's always new data coming in. I would encourage you to look at the reports uh, that become available on the CanCOVID-PREG website, and I can provide you with the address for the show notes. 
So according to the latest report from December the 2nd, uh, which at that point in time incorporated data from Alberta, BC, and Ontario, the rates of hospitalization and ICU admission among pregnant women appear to be largely in line with what has been suggested in the international literature, specifically the Living Review out of the UK, which incorporates data um, from global reports. So we were looking at about 11% of pregnant patients with uh, COVID being hospitalized and about 2.3% ending up in the ICU. The preliminary CAN-COVID data did suggest uh, a signal of an increased risk of hospitalization and ICU admission among pregnant women, but the magnitude of this risk is really going to become more clear as more data is incorporated. Uh, this first report from CAN-COVID only um, includes about 25% of the pregnancies uh, that have been reported across Canada, so further reports are going to be uh, incorporating more of the big picture and those estimates are going to become more precise. Do you think as the, this data is showing increase in hospitalizations, do you think that's um, a nature of us actually admitting them to hospital because they're pregnant as opposed to them really being sick? Yeah. So, Graham, that's a super question. Um, there's a lot of difficulties with the topic of hospitalization uh, in general for the pregnant patient because we know that pregnant women are also uh, hospitalized for reasons related to their pregnancy. Um, and sometimes that can be uh, at the same time as they have COVID. So it's really difficult to tease out was the admission for COVID or for pregnancy. And not only that, but you're right, our practice is to have a much lower threshold for hospitalization for a pregnant woman. We have two patients. Um, so that's the. those are the kinds of questions that are going to have to be teased out in time when the, the data can be looked at more thoroughly. Right now, this is just a preliminary snapshot. Okay, so maybe we can actually just step back a, a bit. Can you explain the difference between COVID screening and COVID testing? I sure can. For COVID, as for other diseases, screening refers to testing for a disease, or in this case, an infection, when someone is not exhibiting symptoms or risk factors like a known contact. So who's being screened right now varies by jurisdiction and across time because it's typically in response to the local epidemiology at the time. For instance, in areas of high incidence, we might screen on admission to the labor floor or preoperatively. But because diagnostic capacity in Canada continues to be stretched, um, a lot of thought goes into making the decision about who should be screened. Testing, however, is looking for a specific disease or infection when somebody has symptoms or concerning exposure. And this is much more standard across the country right now. If you have symptoms for COVID, you'll likely be eligible for a test. But even this can vary by region depending on the demand and the capacity for testing. Both screening and testing for COVID are done by the same means at this point in time, which is typically a nasopharyngeal swab on which a PCR-based test is run. So in our own uh, centre, screening, uh, anybody getting into the hospital or onto labour and delivery would get screened with a questionnaire. Uh, and based on that or their symptoms, uh, they would get the nasopharyngeal swab. Yeah, currently in our labor floors, we're ha we have a similar approach, um, but we are actually also offering asymptomatic uh, testing. We're a bit of a hot spot right now in Canada for, for COVID. That, that leads to my next question. And I recognize that every center in Canada is dealing with the screening and the testing differently, uh, based in part on, on how much COVID activity is going on in their own community. Um, we're actually, for anybody coming for a procedure like an elective cesarean section or uh, labor induction, uh, we are requiring COVID testing uh, in the 24 hours or so beforehand. 
Um, and I know there's more activity going on in, in Winnipeg. So are, are you screening all patients who come in in labor? Yeah. So Kingston sounds a little bit like us. Um, Manitoba is currently a hotspot uh, for COVID in terms of epidemiology. And our province is listed at the critical level in our provincial pandemic responses system, meaning that uh, the spread of the virus is not contained and there are strains on our healthcare resources. So because of this, we do have asymptomatic screening going on for preoperative patients and for patients coming uh, onto the labor floor in labor at our three largest obstetrical centers in the province. I anticipate that once the epidemiology settles and that we're able to relax uh, the pandemic response system level, uh, some of the asymptomatic testing will also be rolled in. Bit of a different uh, direction, but a number of months ago, uh, Dr. Margie Davenport, uh, who is in Edmonton, did an online survey of pregnant women and their level of anxiety with regards to COVID. And, And clearly, pregnant women are worried. Should they be? Yeah. So pregnancy and being a parent to a new little human is stressful at the best of times. And this is certainly heightened during the pandemic. I think that Dr. Davenport's research is important and it highlights that we're really only scratching the surface when it comes to assessing the full impact of the pandemic on uh, maternal health. So I don't think I can really tell someone that they should or should not be worried. As a prenatal provider, I can go over the data with them and let them know that tens of thousands of pregnant women across the world have unfortunately been infected with COVID, and the majority of pregnant patients have mild to moderate disease and deliver healthy babies at full term. But I also explore risk factors that my individual patients have and develop individualized risk mitigation strategies uh, if they do have important risk factors for severe disease or if they're in high-risk situations for infection. But, you know, medical aspects are only one part of what's causing stress for pregnant patients. The shifting policies around visitors and masks and screening are, you know, causing stress for caregivers and patients alike. The best we can do for our patients is to keep as up-to-date as we can on local policies so that we can communicate them openly and try to minimize the surprises along the way and empower them to come up with coping strategies in light of some of the restrictions or policies. Another important element is social isolation. The public health restrictions in some jurisdictions right now uh, limit a person's ability to interact with supports, and that's a really important piece. I try to discuss this ahead of time, reminding my patients to practice self-care and to reach out if they need help. I remember myself as a new mom, uh, deep in the dark of winter with a four-month-old who wasn't sleeping more than an hour and a half at a time. And I know that that was, that was really challenging, even with the best supports and easy access to all of those supports. I don't think that we can deny that it takes a new kind of courage to face being a new parent during the pandemic. And my patients continue to blow me away with their strength. Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating. Uh, I've, I was working on labor and delivery uh, yesterday and, you know, going in to uh, meet the, uh, the partners for the very first time. Um, you know, normally I would see them in the clinics and the ultrasound unit. And, and now it's you don't see any of them. Sometimes you see them by, by FaceTiming in clinic, but uh, it's, it's certainly uh, strange times and I can uh, appreciate how stressful it must be uh, trying to, to a certain degree, do it in part alone. Um, I, I have a number of pregnant teachers and healthcare workers in my practice uh, at the moment, and, and they're groups that certainly have the potential to uh, have an increased chance of exposure what, what do you recommend um, as it relates to work? Great question. I have a number of patients who are teachers as well, and uh, they have the same concern. I always go back to the basics. 
uh, of what we've already discussed here, the need to look at every patient as an individual, plan accordingly, but most importantly, to go back to the basics. I reinforce the basics of hand hygiene and mask wearing. And fortunately, in Manitoba, at least, our public health measures seem to be working quite well where schools are concerned. And this is really reassuring for our teachers. I also remind my patients who work on the front line uh, that our risk of exposure doesn't start and stop with the workplace. Depending on local epidemiology, community exposure outside of the workplace can be significant. And I really make a point of talking about that when we're discussing work-related exposure. Yeah, when, one of the things I've been recommending actually to, uh, to all my patients is to consider finishing work a couple of weeks early. Uh, in order to uh, isolate for that period of time, ensure that they're not going uh, into labor and delivery having been exposed or acquired COVID. A- any suggestions that you've been giving that, that are not kind of across the board? So it's a complex situation. You know, if someone has the luxury of taking time off and isolating, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, unfortunately, I, I work in the um, inner city of a big city um, and Unfortunately, many of my patients can't do that or have household members that can't take time away. Uh, So a pregnant patient, therefore isolating, isn't really a 100% guarantee. Um, And so I I really try to look at it an individual, um, at the individual situation and see what what is a possibility. Because of these caveats um, and the need to have an individualized discussion, um, sometimes I'll suggest different strategies to different patients. But what I do find is consistent is that most of my patients are are motivated to stay healthy, especially around the time of delivery, which makes a lot of good sense. What, what about after delivery when they go home? Um, you know, ever since this started back in March, I've been telling women that uh, only members of their bubble should be allowed uh, into the home and, and anyone from outside the home, but still part of their bubble should still be wearing a mask and washing their hands before holding the baby. And, and, and perhaps nobody, you know, except the parents, uh, should be kissing the baby, including kissing the hands because babies are always, always touching themselves. Um, and, and that really includes, you know, the, the baby siblings. I know it's difficult for extended family, including grandparents, and everyone's excited about the, the new baby, but, but these are exceptional times. You don't want a new mother and her baby to get sick. Any thoughts? So I think that a lot of the strategies that you've suggested are, you know, they're common sense and they're reasonable. And it's a tough situation. And we know that parents have a lot of competing interests to negotiate the excited extended family, the desire for everyone to meet this new little human, and of course, the amazing support that friends and family provide to a new parent. And so going without a lot of that is a huge challenge. And so some of the things that you suggested, like everybody wearing masks, washing their hands, avoiding kissing, avoiding sharing food, um, are certainly excellent strategies. Um, But depending on the local uh, public health measures, even even those um, are are kind of um, disallowed at this point in time. And so it's important to make sure that we color our answer. Like this is a national podcast and we need to color our answer with local epidemiology and uh, local public health measures. So certainly my advice in Manitoba in December 2020 sounds very different than my advice in July 2020 uh, when we had very little circulating virus in the province. So I encourage patients to maximize the use of virtual technology and uh, certainly meetups in outdoor spaces if public health measures allow. Um, And I try to highlight, though, um, that this doesn't mean that a new parent should suffer in silence. Um, I try to offer anticipatory guidance about postpartum depression and the emotional tax of being a new parent alone and really encourage them to reach out if they're struggling. Yeah, absolutely. 
I've been reminding pregnant women uh, to get their flu shot and the vaccine for whooping cough. Um, there are certainly recognized protective benefits uh, for the baby in the first six months of life after it's born with the transmission of mom's antibodies across the placenta. Um, and this is certainly a, a year when you don't want to be getting any sort of respiratory illness. Now the vaccine rollout is happening. Do we know anything about uh, the use of COVID vaccine in pregnancy? Oh, Graham, this is a big question. And it probably deserves its own episode on the podcast to sort out some of the nuances. Um, but briefly, I'll let you know that NACI, which is our kind of Canadian body um, that advises on the use of immunizations, their position is that the COVID vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine should not be offered to the following populations. Pregnant women is one of them. However, if a risk assessment is deems that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh potential risks for that individual, then with informed consent, a complete series uh, should be obtained and offered to a uh, pregnant or breastfeeding woman. So I can tell you that there's an SOGC statement coming out shortly too that's going to provide uh, further clarity specifically for uh, providers of um, prenatal care and postpartum patients. Um, but in brief, I don't think we're going to see the recommendation for routine vaccination of all pregnant or breastfeeding women coming out um, anytime soon. We need a lot of data before we can say that. But in a pandemic situation, there are real risks of infection that need to be balanced against theoretical or undescribed risk of um, this vaccine, this new mRNA vaccine. It's important to know that the COVID vaccine is not a live vaccine and it doesn't alter our DNA. So, the um, prenatal care provider is going to play an important role in helping patients to make an informed decision about whether the risks of not getting the vaccine are large and substantial and could motivate a pregnant woman to seek out the vaccine um, during her pregnancy or in the postpartum period. Um, so we hope that the SOGC document that's forthcoming will help to navigate this complex situation. Can, can you give an example of a patient or a scenario where somebody might want to get the vaccine? For sure. Um, in some of our um, northern communities in Manitoba right now, we're seeing extremely high rates of infection. Um, in some communities, as many as one in four people are infected. And so if I were a 40-year-old woman with pre-existing diabetes in a community where one in four people have the infection on an outbreak situation, I would strongly consider talking to my prenatal care provider about getting the vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. Probably it's it's best for anyone who's considering uh, getting pregnant to uh, get the COVID vaccine uh, before they actually uh, conceive, I would think. Yeah, that's an, that's an easy that's an easier answer for sure. It's much more straightforward if you were to get your full COVID vaccine series ahead of uh, pregnancy once you can access the vaccine. Yes. Any uh, any final words for pregnant women out there related to COVID? I think I'd like to say that you know, as I mentioned before, I was a new parent outside of a pandemic, and it was hard. And uh, inside this pandemic doesn't make uh, something that was hard any easier. We're here for you and we're going to make it through together. Thank you, Vanessa, for taking the time to join us to discuss COVID-19 and pregnancy today. I want to thank our guest as well as Adelaide Burroughs, who's a medical student at Queen's University who helped to produce this podcast and for those behind the scenes. We will put links to more information that uh, Vanessa spoke about uh, on this and other topics um, on our website, www.themothersprogram.ca. The Mothers Program is all one word. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for topics or people who we should interview, 
please use the contact section of our website. The next podcast, we will be speaking with Dr. Margie Davenport at the University of Alberta's Program for Pregnancy and Postpartum Health about physical activity in pregnancy and after delivery. Until then, be safe. Thank you.